to this week's episode of the Hammer Time Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Hammerman, every single week here on Playmaker Mentality, iTunes, Twitter, everywhere else, talking about sports, society, and stuff. And this week, really special guest, someone who I actually got to meet a couple of weeks ago and was just as wonderful in person as they always thought he would be on the internet, Matt Harmon of NFL.com of Backyard Banter, of a bunch of other places, football guys. He is here with us today. Matt, how are you doing? Ethan, I'm doing fantastic, and it really is fun that I've I've managed to trick you all on the internet into thinking that I'm actually a wonderful, lovely person, because all my friends, you know, pre-football Twitter would uh, think that I'm like an insufferable asshole, so it's, it's great that you guys like me so much, though. I think that we all are slightly more likable on the internet than we are in person, partially because we got tired with our timelines being clogged up with a bunch of stupid people, because if you put out good mentions, the good mentions will come back to you. That is Twitter theory of relativity. I don't know, but but it is, it is so true. You are a reflection of your mentions. Never forget that if you've got bad mentions, you're probably a bad Twitter account. Truer words have never been spoken. We're going to jump right into it. A lot of ground to cover tonight. And we're going to start with sports. And Matt, you are a football guy. You wrote on the site, Football Guys. So what made you originally love football? Yeah, this is actually funny because nobody's ever asked me about this. I'm actually sure we'll get into a lot of stuff that nobody's ever asked me. But uh, as far as, like, football back in my beginnings, I would, like, growing up as a kid, you know, I ask people on my podcast all the time, how did you fall in love with football, that sort of stuff. And I always think, like, if somebody asked me, they all talk about it like, oh, man, when I was a kid, I love sports. I love football. I really was not you know, all that into sports as a kid. Um, I played like I never played football or anything. I didn't even really like watching football all that much as like a, a little, little kid. And then it was in, I think, my junior year of high school. One of my friends was like, hey, dude, I need you to be in a fantasy league with us. Uh, can you – can you join? And I was like, dude, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't know anything about football. That sounds stupid. And this is so ironic that now I'm a fantasy football writer. That's my job. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do anything like that. But eventually, of course, like you talked me into it. So like to get into it, because I'm the type of person, like whenever I've done something in life, I've been like all about it. Like even when I was a kid, 
If I was into toys, I'd be all about that toy. If I saw a movie that I loved, I'd be all about that movie. So, you know, I started playing Madden and like preparing to for this fantasy draft, just getting to know all the players in the league. And really, like for some reason, just something about it just clicked, and I just immediately fell in love. So honestly, it was mostly through like Madden and that first fantasy league that I really came to love it. And I didn't have like a good year in that fantasy league, but it was just so fun following the games. And so ever since then, I've been completely obsessed. Yeah. I've I've said the story before, but I think it's funny how we all fall into it into various ways. Like I really didn't play that much fantasy football. I think that actually in middle school, I was a big fantasy baseball player. Mm. For some reason I picked up on like, I don't know if remember SI kids, but uh, I was big into the Battle-Matic on SI Kids when you could like pick a weekly team. The first iteration of Daily Fantasy, by the way, was Battle-Matic on SI Kids. Nice. Uh, for anyone who gets that shout out, you get nostalgia points from me. But for football, it was mostly just a me and dad thing. Like I remember my first game; it was Patriots Chargers. Went to Foxborough. Sean Jefferson had like three touchdown receptions. This was 1996. Um, this was a long time ago, uh, back when Foxborough Stadium was still Foxborough Stadium. But, you know, for me, it always was a bit of a struggle, uh, being a Patriots fan in the New York vicinity of right. Stanford, Connecticut. And I know for you, you have not lived in North Carolina. You are in the DMV, which is Washington Territory. So what was it like being a Carolina Panthers fan in Washington Territory? Well, so obviously before before the time of that story that I just told back when I first got into football, I didn't really have a team. I didn't really care. Um, but, of course, once I started to really fall for football, like, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to root for the Panthers because my, my my, uh, I have ties to North Carolina. Like, my dad's side of the family is all from there. He actually lives there now. Uh, everybody – Everybody, like, on the side of the family lives in North Carolina, a little town called Troutman, which is about 45 minutes outside of Charlotte. Uh, and so, like I said, all the Harmons are basically still there except uh, except my branch of the tree. And so, honestly, like, I just didn't want to be a Washington fan for a number of reasons. For one, they've, like, pretty much sucked my entire time on the planet. I think, yeah, so I was born in 1991, which was really the last year I think they were actually any good. So, they were bad, and there's also like even as a even as a high schooler, I was like, ah, their team name is is racist. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want any attachment to that team, honestly. So um, that's why I chose to be a Carolina fan, and it was great because I I'm, I don't really consider myself a fan anymore because I just can't get the emotional attachment to it going, which I'm sure a lot of people out there can relate to. But it was fun because, I, and it's not. It's not so much a bad thing in the DMV area because everybody here is kind of a transplant. It's a it's a really diverse city with a lot of different fan bases. So it didn't it wasn't weird to stick out like that. Yeah, my personal um thoughts about the name. I think they should have rebranded when they drafted RG3. Uh, unfortunately, that time has now passed, but that would have been such a perfect opportunity, a fresh start. You got your franchise quarterback. You could rebrand, you could do whatever you want. I still think that Pigskins is a perfectly fine name. Your fans already wear pig masks. They're the hogs. Yeah. So, to me, I just don't see why they just don't make that change. They're because, stubborn. Uh, they're stubborn and their owner is a problem. 
Yeah, well, he does. I mean, I can tell you for a fact, he definitely does not want to undergo the massive, cha- like the massive financial change that it would take to to rebrand everything and all that. But I don't know. It's a it's a stupid issue that like I have spent so many hours of my life arguing with people. I would remember getting into friend like into argument with friends in college, like, you know, half drunk at, well, not even half drunk, all the way drunk at, like, 2 a.m. on, like, Friday nights after parties and getting into screaming matches about this 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 issue. It's They're very passionate about it and, uh, you know, whatever, but it's definitely something that I think needs to be changed. Which is ironic because I don't know a lot of Redskins fans. For some reason, that's the one fan base where I don't think I've interacted with many of them on social media. Yeah. Um, I don't think, I don't feel like there's a lot of them on social media. Like, I can't think of any of our, like, any of our friends on, on football Twitter that are Washington fans, honestly. Yeah, so, and I actually noticed that I actually just said the team name, so I apologize for that. But I I definitely, yeah, we, I try my best. Uh, everyone makes mistakes, and that was a mistake that I recognize, and I'm sorry about that. But yeah, I agree. Like, I don't think that there are too many people who say it or who are, fans of the team who we follow, which, again, might be a reflection of our mentions and a reflection of who we follow in the first place. Uh, so, moving on, what was your happiest sports moment? Yeah, um, I actually think it was probably when the Panthers drafted Cam Newton, and I think at this point, because I, even though I hadn't been a fan, and I'm like I said, I hardly consider myself one anymore, uh, just because I don't know if I fit the qualifications, I would I still recognize like what and what a big moment that was for the city of Charlotte and for just the Carolinas in general to have a star like that. Um, I mean, really, the there was no other player in Panthers history that could have compared to the arrival of Cam Newton. Like, and also I knew that it was going to provide like exactly the kind of discussions and fodder that it has, like it, him being a great player was going to annoy people. I even remember like again, getting into arguments with friends in college about like one guy was like, yeah, he's an ex Vince young. I'm like, he's not just shut the hell up. Like he's not Vince young. And I remember just feeling like this was a, a changing moment for the franchise's history. So I don't really have any big like game moments that made me super happy, but I just remember that was such a defining, changing moment for the franchise's history that uh, I really thought was going to come. Honestly, really like locked it in that it was they were going to win the Super Bowl this year. Like by the time they got close, and it was going to be like the the culmination of all that. Now it's like, well, typical, typical kind of half uh, half disappointment, half fulfillment thing going on there. Yeah, what was the thing that uh, Salty Surper does, a Twitter follower who other people should follow if they don't? Uh, that Carolina teams had four losses this year. Yeah. Like four uh, losses in the playoffs? Yeah, man. Uh, what was it? UNC, uh, the Panthers, the Hornets. Yeah. There has been so many crying Jordans thrown at the Carolinas, which I'm a fan. Like, I love the crying Jordan meme. I, I I have not seen one. I will not retweet. I have been crying Jordan, I think, at least five times. Charlie's been crying Jordan a few times. <laughs> I mean, I love the meme, but it's been a bad year for the Carolinas and the crying Jordan meme because they've gotten a lot of it. I will say, great stat that I saw today. Vince Young has more career wins than Sam Bradford. Dude, that's beautiful. That yeah, is You should a, tweet that. I will retweet it from the I, I can't. <laughs> I can't steal it. I don't steal tweets. Someone else tweeted it. I don't remember who. 
I think that I might have actually quote tweeted it and said this is a great stat because it was a great stat. Uh, but if you That's find it, you can feel free to RT it. I don't want to take credit away from the person gonna, who rightfully solid, did that. I'm going to do them a solid like wait until tomorrow morning to retweet it because there's nothing better than when you can get like a, a dead tweet fired up again. I'll do I'll do that. Yeah, cool. I'll that, go searching for it. That is good. Um, so who is your favorite athlete of all time? Uh, yeah, that's got to be Steve Smith. Again, another person like that really embodies what I'm all about in terms of like he's different, he's intense, but people love that about him, you know, because there's always some of those guys that are characters. And it's funny how he's grown from being kind of a controversial like figure in the media to now he's like totally beloved by even the most traditional sports media, despite the fact he's still the same guy. So watching his career arc has been fun. Um, yeah, it's funny because this is this is a this is a controversial take, I think. But I really loved Ray Lewis as a player. Like he was one of my favorite athletes. But the fact that he's such an insufferable human being really kind of ruins it for me. Um, so yeah, I, I would definitely go with with Steve Smith. He's my favorite player of all time. I mean, Ray Lewis, the player, is phenomenal. He's a great player. But even like even his like when he was playing, his whole like just unhinged like leadership sort of thing and like the dance and everything, all that appealed to me. But like the second he retired, it was like, dude, I, this guy has got to go away. I can agree with that. Now he is going away. He got kicked off of ESPN. Yeah, don't be so sure he's going to go away, though. I mean, it happened to Warren Sapp. He did actually go away, although part of that was because of some extracurricular activities that he partook in and should not have done. As an NFL employee, I'm actually not allowed to acknowledge that Warren Sapp exists. (laughs) (laughs) It's against the rules. It's against the rules. So we are going to proceed to what you are probably most famous for, Reception Perception, where you monitor all the wide receivers, check which routes they run, where they win, and how you think they will project moving forward. So last year, you had some very strong takes, and your most successful one, by far, I would say, was that you thought Allen Robinson from the Jaguars was going to be a stud. And lo and behold, he became an absolute superstar. I got him in a lot of my leagues as my wide receiver three, which ended up being really, really nice as we moved on into the season because he just kept making big plays. And in my opinion, he elevated Blake Bortles quite a bit and made him look better than he actually is. So from what you've seen, is there an Allen Robinson this year? Yeah, you know, obviously I, I get this question all the time. Even just a couple hours ago, somebody was like, who's your Allen Robinson this year? And honestly, I, and I quote tweeted and responded today, what I'll say now, uh, as we stand right now, I don't I don't have one. I don't think there is one. And, and I'll give, you know, kind of a – and this is not – this is totally not a cop-out because, honestly, what happened last year with Allen Robinson was, was very special in – Maybe just my like um, my emotions and my response to it was very special, but also like you got to remember he was coming out of a historically great wide receiver class. He had missed all of the second, most of the second half of the season with an injury. So while guys like Odell Beckham, Mike Evans, even you know some of the lesser names like Jordan Matthews and John Brown and Brandon, well Brandon Cooks was hurt too, but you know all those guys were 
kind of, you know, they were, they were stealing the show while Robinson was out. So he was like a 10th round pick in like early MFL 10 drafts. Um, and was obviously a Jaguar. So, I mean, I don't know. I can't say how many times last April when I was like, oh, no, this guy's going to be a stud. They're like, people, dude, no, he plays for the Jaguars. That's not going to happen. Um, so it was just such, such like a just for pick from the bottom of the barrel. And I'm like, this guy's going to be a star. I don't see anybody like that this year. Like, there are guys I have strong takes on. Like, I definitely think Dante Moncrief is going to break out. I think Doriel Green-Beckham could be that guy. But I don't – there's not one guy that I've charted so far. And I've seen his reception perception results and been like, yeah, this guy's going to be pretty much a, a really lesser-known player and become, you know, a top – 10 fantasy receiver even approach that I just don't have that guy right now if it happens and it could I'm actually running through a lot of like the the second year receivers like Nelson Aguilar and Tyler Lockett charting some of them right now Jameson Crowder is a player I just recently looked at so if I if I find a guy I will definitely let everybody know but right now I think that what happened last year with Robinson is was a special thing and it's not going to happen every year I mean, if there if there's anybody that's close, it would be Sterling Shepard from the college ranks. But even that, I don't feel quite the same as strong as I did with Robinson. Partially because he, who he has across from him, Odell Beckham. Right, like that's the thing too. Even if you looked at Robinson, even just from like a raw numbers perspective, you could have projected that that guy was going to get over 140 targets, no doubt about it, just based on who he was, where he, like, what type of receiver he was, and then who else was on the roster. Like, it's a big difference playing with Marquise Lee versus playing with Odell Beckham. It's just a little bit of a different thing. So, yeah, there's just there's just nobody out there that I can pencil in as being that player right now. I feel like if Doriel Green Beckham tried harder, You're he right. might be that guy. Because he really isn't – good position to take over that number one role with a really good young quarterback in Mariota. I feel like Mike Malarkey kind of hates Doro Green Beckham too. Like he, I haven't heard him say one nice thing about Beckham since he became the interim head coach there. Mike Malarkey is a really shitty coach. I mean, (laughs) if you want to talk about teams ruining players, I feel so bad for Marcus Mariota. I do think that that could be a fun team this year with Henry along with DeMarco Murray in that backfield, because at least they should be able to relieve some of the pressure in terms of running the ball a little bit better for Mariota. And their receivers are, their pass catching core is good. I mean, Delaney Walker is a legit starter at tight end. Kendall Wright's pretty good if he can ever stay healthy. Uh, Richard Matthews played well last year. I like Tajay Sharp, who they drafted in the fifth round. And yeah, if, if Beckham ever just you know, did the damn thing, like, he would be a legit number one receiver, but it's it's tough to project at all. That's that's the key. Green Beckham is kind of the key right now, and I don't feel, like, 100% solid that he's going to do it. And you didn't even mention Justin Hunter. <laughs> no, the thing is, I didn't even mention, um, what's his name, Harry Douglas, and he's oh, still God. on the roster. And you can even, I mean, just come on, let's all be realistic. We all know that the, the starting receivers are going to end up being Harry Douglas and Rashard Matthews. Green Beckham will, like, be inactive on game days, and Kendall Wright will be hurt, and then, yeah, Marcus Mariota will just drown in a sea of sadness. And for the third straight year, Roto World ran the same blurb about Dexter McCluster that they're going to use him as a third down back in that offense, 
Every single year, it's the same blurb. I, I actually talked to Pat Doherty today for an episode of my podcast, and uh, that'll be out on Friday. And, and he was saying, he's like, I really wish that I could respond to some of those blurbs. Like, the analysis just be K, period. Because, <laughs> like, Dexter McCluster is going to get 10 to 15 touches this year. K. They they do good. I, I, I like their blurbs. They're funny. Um, so you mentioned Sterling Shepard as one of the rookies that you thought landed in a great spot. Are there any others that jump out to you? Yeah, I mean, all the top three guys, I think, landed in great spots. Uh, Treadwell, I think, is a great fit with Teddy Bridgewater. I could see him easily being the number one receiver that, that Teddy needs. I'm a pretty big fan of Treadwell, and I thought the, the, the knocks on him got overblown. Corey Coleman is definitely intriguing because there's just so much opportunity there in Cleveland, and I know that they want to design plays for him and like make like build the offense around him essentially. Uh, so he's another one that's in a good spot. Of course, if RG three needs to kind of hold up his end of the bargain, um, hot to- hot topic today on Twitter, RG3 uh, Washington stories, which is just so exhausting. <laughs> I just want to, yeah, I want to see the next chapter of that kid's career play out. I said, kid, he's older than me. That's stupid. Uh, I'm sorry that I said that. Hey, you know, now we're one for, we're each one-to-one in terms of saying things that we regret saying immediately, but they won't be in the podcast. We'll keep score for ourselves to see who ends up winning. Oh, I've I'm sure I'll end up uh, winning that one in public apologies. And then Josh Doxson, actually, speaking of Washington, I think landed in a really good spot. I'm I'm writing about them right now for the Washington Post, that whole receiver core, and I really think he could become the alpha very quickly. He offers the ability to pluck the ball in the air and, and win in traffic the way that Garcon, Jackson, Crowder, none of those guys do. Uh, so I think he could really quickly ascend to being the alpha. And then some other guys that landed in good spots. I really like where Malcolm Mitchell landed with New England. Um, he, I was a big, big fan of Mitchell. He was like my top-ranked or top-ranked sleeper in the draft. So, yeah, I'm excited about, about his fit there too. I concur in all of those. I really like what Jay Gruden has done in Washington. He's built Me it too. very similar to what he did in Cincinnati, where yeah, you too. have a decent quarterback, who all he needs to do is just occasionally go deep and not make a ton of mistakes, and tons of talent around him. Yeah. I mean, they have Crowder, Garcon, Deshaun Jackson, Josh Doxson. That's as good a top-four receiver group as you're going to see in the NFL right now. Yeah, and, I mean, Jordan Reed obviously is a stud at tight end when he's healthy. The one question is Matt Jones at at running back. Like, that's the only thing that's kind of like, They had... A draft pick at running back that I really like. Yes, Keith Marshall. I really like that pick. And I think that he could end up taking a large portion of those carries. And they also picked one of um, the sleepers that Emory Hunt told me about, I believe, in Jonta Hebert. Mm-hmm. I remember him. Uh, he is someone who I think also has a good chance to make that roster. Another receiver who I wanted to call out, Emory, really liked his landing spot, was Tyler Boyd from Cincinnati. Um, I agree. I think that even though I wasn't the biggest fan of Boyd, he can definitely get open in the slot, and A.J. Green is going to take a lot of attention away from him. I think he could eat. I'm very excited about what he could do in the Cincinnati offense. Yeah, the thing about a Boyd... He won't get a lot of touchdowns, though. That's his only problem. 
Well, I just don't think they're going to need to rely on him what, very much, which is fine because the, the funny part is that, like, all throughout the draft process, you know, Boyd was one of the worst scorers in reception perception, but I don't think he's, like, a bad player. The one thing I kept saying about him was that he needed to go to a team that would use him like the Bengals used Marvin Jones last year, and then ironically he ended up in Cincinnati. And it's not that he and Jones are comparable players, but he needed to be behind two very – heavy good passing options and he will be and he'll he might even be the fourth option on some on some plays behind Gio Bernard too and they also have a power running game so you know that's what he needs to be is kind of a very ancillary piece but he can do that well because he's a good route runner just doesn't create much separation but can be like a clutch player for them on third downs and that sort of stuff so yeah it's a good it's a good fit I wouldn't have taken him in the second round because I think he offers like a replaceable skill set, but that's a good landing spot. But he probably will never make any noise for fantasy, though, because I just doubt he would ever push for that many targets. I mean, hey, Marvin Jones made a lot of noise in fantasy randomly. He just kept getting open. True. Eifert also was was hurt, and I think he's a. I think Jones is a, is a better player than Boyd is. That's interesting because I know that one of the criticisms that I saw from a lot of Bengals people was that Jones was having trouble getting open on some of those deeper routes. Yeah, that's, that is that is very accurate, which is funny because he, you think he ran like a go route. It was his by far his, his highest route run in reception perception last year, but it was one of his worst scoring ones. So I, it, I And that's the funny part is like, you know, that's why the, what my, to my point about him is that they never really relied on him, but they, if they needed a big play or something, they would go to Jones. But that's not really the, that's not really the guy he is. I think he's more of a, pe- a possession receiver and a boundary guy. And one other quote-unquote rookie that I feel like has to be on everyone's radar this year is Kevin White in Chicago. Right, yeah. No one realizes, like, he's going to slip in a lot of fantasy drafts. And I'm here for taking him in round eight. Yeah. I am here for that because he's going to get a lot of reps across from Alshon. Yeah, man. If there was one, like, that I guess would be, like, my Allen Robinson, it would be... Kevin White, the thing is there's just obviously no film on him last year to chart. Oh, yeah. Maybe I'll go back and look at his college tape. Uh, now that I'm at NFL, I can do that uh, when, I, when, I, when I start writing there again in July. So moving on, we had some really positive results last year. There are also <laughs> some negatives, most notably Cordero Patterson. So what – have you learned from your failure with projecting Cordero Patterson, or do you think that that was just an anomaly? Uh, I think the biggest thing that it taught me was not to make conclusions on on small data and just to try to make conclusions. Because when I put out the Patterson study, that was actually the, the year that was before the 2014 season. That was the second reception perception result that I ever charted. I did Jordy Nelson was the first one I published, and then Cordero Patterson was the second. So obviously I wasn't working with like a ton of averages. Like these these are I didn't really even have an idea of what good scores were, but I was trying to make a conclusion based off very little data collected. Because the funny part is like if I went back and looked at Cordero Patterson's rookie season numbers now he looked like a Devonte Adams level score. I would have been like, "Oh yeah, this guy's gonna. He's not gonna be good. He's gonna. He's. He looks like a bust already." But trying to make the conclusion based off, like I said, without a real understanding of what the data, even the data, my own data, what I was looking at, was was a bad idea. So that's the one thing I've learned for sure. Like, 
And if, if anybody out there wants to create a statistics model and everything, like don't work off small sample sizes. Don't try to make big grand conclusions or anything like that. So really the process wasn't, you know, and I'm not, I'm not somebody that just loves to default on, Hey, process over results. But like in this case, the methodology was, was right on Patterson. I was wrong. So, you know, that's another thing too, when you're going to work with statistics and numbers, every, you're always at the prey of whoever's interpreting the data. And unfortunately I made a pretty egregious error to try to try to make a conclusion off, off data that I didn't really understand yet. You live and you learn. And I think that you definitely learned a lot from that, which moving forward will only help your studies in this area. So we're going to transition over to the society portion and you published something pretty recently on the backyard banner, your personal blog about your weight loss over time, uh, about dealing with depression. Uh, you just wrote about that journey, and I definitely encourage everyone who hasn't read it yet to read it. So you detail some of these things in your piece that you wrote. But to start, why don't you tell us what the impetus was that got you to really start committing to this? Well, in terms of weight loss... I had always, I was always a, a, a fat kid, more or less. Uh, growing up, I was always overweight. My doctors would always tell me, you know, you really should, you really should lose some weight, Matt. And uh, I just never, I never cared. I talked about it in the piece. Like my mom would constantly remind me that like her father had passed away when she was, you know, like she wasn't even 18 years old yet, I don't think. And and he died when he was 49 years old, pretty much from, from, from these type of issues, from being overweight and not taking care of himself. She would constantly remind me of that, but, you know, I just didn't care. It just, none of that had any effect on me. I loved to eat. I loved food that was terrible for you. Um, I talked about it. It's funny. I talk about some of the stuff in that piece, like some of the things that I would eat, like when I would go out with my high school girlfriend and we would go out to all these, these terrible restaurants, you know, and I would order, like after having a chicken sandwich for lunch, I'd order like a burger for dinner and I'd eat like fries at both meal. And like thinking about that now, like grosses me out, man. <laughs> like it makes me sick to think about eating it all, eating all that in, in one day. Uh, but I don't like at first it was honestly when I reached, when I hit 315 pounds, my junior year of, of college, that was the first time I ever was like, wait a second, this isn't, this is bad. Like, and it was honestly because of, of football because not that I played football or anything, but when I saw that I was over 300 pounds, I was like, dude, this is what offensive linemen weigh. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not an off, like I'm not, I'm not a football player. Like I should not be this big. And it's funny because if you look at those pictures that I put up with the piece too, you know, I look huge. I feel like I look huge in the pictures, but I never felt that big because it was just what I was used to. So when I hit that, that was the first time I ever made any changes and I dropped down to about 200, 285 pounds or something like that. Literally just from like the smallest changes. Like, you know, I wouldn't, I would drink wine instead of beer one weekend night, which you could imagine got me made fun of a lot by my asshole friends in, in college and, you know, eating grilled chicken instead of a bunch of red meat all the time. Just like small changes. I, I saw a little bit of results, but again, I still don't feel like I cared or I was interested in it. And it wasn't until I graduated college, I took a job um, for uh, a social work job back in Lynchburg, which was the town that I graduated college from. I graduated from Lynchburg College 2013. And 
when I got back, like when I went there, a series of awful things uh, happened to me, and I, I just was depressed, and I was I was in a really dark, awful place in my life. I, it's it's was definitely the most trying part of my life that I've ever experienced so far, and I, yeah, man, I get into that as much as you know as much as we want, but I mean, I was I was. I was just struggling to stay alive every day. Honestly, it was, it was bad. And, um, I was drinking a lot. I was suffering from like, just suffering with a lot of different things. You know, I eventually did go to a therapist who, you know, diagnosed me with depression at the time. And it was, it was, it was just, a, it was a shitty part of my life. And eventually though, when I finally decided like, I don't, and I don't know what it was. I don't know one like moment that was like kind of aha, like my life is worth living and well okay honestly it was it was around that time that I started writing about football because even though like I was very much you know depressed and, and suffering I was still like I need an like I need an outlet I need something to do with my time other than this terrible job that I was working and I that was when I started started writing and I started backyard banter and I got like I made a Twitter account and started talking to people on Twitter about football and the fact that people like took an interest in my work and liked it. And, you know, people like Sigmund Bloom started reaching, you know, somebody that I would like idolize and admired for years that was like following me and interacting with me. Like that sort of confidence boost was what honestly like saved my life. And it made me, you know, it made me like happy and, and proud of myself for once in this really dark period. And, I was like, you know what, my life is worth living, and so I put myself into I put myself into a into to see a therapist, and that's when I started losing weight because you know if you're going to kind of have that attitude towards the world, like I feel like I got a raw deal, like and I my life is worth living. You got to make it worth living, and and I was sick of looking at this at this overweight, like unattractive person in the mirror, and so that's what that's really honestly what made me set out to change it. So I kind of want to hit on the point of body dysmorphia a little bit more. As you have been going through the weight loss process, how has your opinion of yourself changed? Have you become more comfortable looking at yourself in the mirror? Are there still times when you want to lose more? Like, what is your thought process like there? Well, in, in terms of wanting to lose more, I'm, I'm, I don't really have like, and I've never, this is funny, like just, I've never had like set goals or like, I want to be 240 pounds by March or whatever, anything like that. I've just always never settled. And so even now I'm like, I can always do more. I would love to lose more weight. I would love to just look better every day and feel better every day. And in terms of looking at myself in the mirror, yeah, like honestly, Ethan, it's, it's crazy to think because I'm my entire life I was used to hating the image that I saw and I was used to, you know, being, being overweight and not, not feeling confident in myself. So sometimes I look in the mirror and I'm still like, Oh shit, this is me. Like, <laughs> this is what I look like now. Um, yeah. So I'm very, I'm very happy with myself now. I'm very, um, like the person I am today is a, is a, a complete 180 from who I was even you know, two and a half years ago when all this, when all this happened pretty much. Uh, and yeah, no, I mean, I have a, I have a much better sense of like self image. I have much better confidence. Like I would go into, you know, this is so, this is like so sick to think about, but 
I would go into parties like in college, like when I was really heavy and immediately like, despite the fact that I was, a, you know, I'm a, I'm like an objectively fun person to be around, I would say. I mean, you've met me. I don't know. Um, but even even then, like even when I was overweight, like I was still like a fun guy to be around. People liked me, that sort of stuff. But I would go into a party or something and be like with a bunch of other – like I was friends with a lot of athletes, friends with very attractive people. I'd go in there and just shrink and like hate, like immediately just be like, none of the girls here are going to want to talk to you. Like – you're the fat guy in the room, like all that sort of stuff. And now I go into a room and I'm like, okay, I'm confident. Who can I, you know, who can I talk to? Who like, I don't have those negative feelings anymore. So first of all, I definitely can concur that you are a fun person. That is okay. definitely true. Um, I find it really fascinating though. This is actually a story that I have not shared before on Twitter. Um, that your story is very different than my personal story, because I also used to be a little bit heavier, not at 300 pounds, but I was at about, I would say, like, I stopped weighing myself for a little while, I'd say I was probably, like, around 200 pounds, which was still heavier than I should have been, and this was, I would say, in around my sophomore year of college, um, maybe going into my junior year, and I definitely had very low self-esteem. There were a lot of things going on. I also ate horribly, which is very easy to do when you're in college. And I did something very different from you. Um, so the next year I joined a radio station, I was pretty much working every day, either at the radio station or in class because I ended up uh, doing a lot of morning shifts. I was getting up every day at 5 a.m. and going to bed at around 9.30 at night, which was a bit of a crazy schedule. And this was around when I was really committing to get healthy. I had sort of told myself that I need to lose this weight. I'm trying to get out ahead of it, and I want to be better. And I ended up taking some supplements that I probably, in retrospect, should not necessarily taken. They were totally legal. It was over-the-counter. There was nothing legal about it. But I was pretty much drinking 24 cups of coffee a day with these supplements. Um, which is a lot of coffee. And it was very perpetual because I was losing weight and I've lost, I would say I've lost about 35 to 40 pounds since I was at my heaviest. And I'm pretty happy with my body now, but there are still moments where I'm like, oh, maybe I could do this better or look better like this or whatnot. And I, I guess that my, my word that I'm saying is for anyone who's listening, like body dysmorphia is totally a real thing. Yeah. And it's something that, just be safe about it because, I mean, I know people who were anorexic or had eating disorders. I know people who were bulimic, and they come in all shapes and sizes um, and all kinds of people. So uh, definitely if anyone has any thoughts about that, I know Matt is really good in terms of being a resource for that, and I would also be happy to talk to anyone uh, because it is something that it, it's very – there are times when it definitely is something very difficult to deal with, especially when you're in college. Yeah, um, like if anybody ever wants to talk to me, like just, you know, yeah. send me an email, mharmon2570 at gmail.com. If you're listening to the podcast, anything I say, like, and you want to talk to me, like, please, because I would have loved for someone to talk to when I was there. And you're right, like, 
the key thing, like I, you know, the key thing about this all is like, I, I was, I hated my body and I hated what I looked like, but it was all, it was all just being buried under the fact that I was not happy as an, as a person, you know, I was struggling mentally and I was not okay. And it was when I was able to like separate the two. And then like when I wanted to be healthy from a mental perspective, that was when I really wanted to be healthy from a physical perspective. And the two very much go hand in hand. So you can't like there, and there's no, there's no, uh, there's no like, there's no cheat way to do it. I mean, there obviously there are, as, as you were, you were just saying, there are, are ways you can try to get around it, but, um, you gotta want, like, if you want to remake your body and you want to lose weight and you want to be healthy, you have to want the dest. if you want to, you have to want the journey just as much as the destination. And I promise, like, if you, if you start and you really commit to it, it'll happen. It, I, it'll, you'll suddenly find yourself like addicted to, to, to going to the gym and losing weight and, and eating healthy. Like, um, I was talking to my mom and, and her boyfriend when I was, when I was making dinner tonight and you know, they drink a lot of soda still. Like most soda is the enemy. It really is. It, it really cut is. it out. It's so easy. And then you lose your taste for it in like a that's, month. It's so easy to cut out. That's what I was telling him too. Like, cause he drinks a lot of diet Coke and my mom still drinks like a lot of Coke zero. I was like, if you guys stop drinking it for like two months, you'll be disgusted by like the thought of like the thought of it. Cause as they're sitting there, like kind of saying like, okay, well we're only going to drink like, you know, four sodas in a weekend or something. I'm sitting there. I'm like, I can't even listen to you guys talk about <laughs> this. It's so gross. And, and these things will happen. Like, even if it feels impossible that you could be like, you know, addicted to working out or like, or that you could be disgusted by soda. It's it'll, your body will really change because it's what your body wants, man. Like that's the, that's the crazy part. Definitely agree. I will say that along with my personal journey, just to clarify a little bit, like I was definitely dieting and working out and I thought this was like my advantage to get ahead of the game as a way to suppress cravings. First of all, dieting, I mean, the best thing to do is just be mindful of what you eat. That's the smartest way to diet. Just know what you're putting in your body and know if you decide to indulge, just don't do it again for like another week, you know? Just right. have it in mind that you have a certain amount of times when you can eat more than you're supposed to, and then otherwise just try to be prudent. Uh, because also it'll save you money. So that, that's just something smart to do on in either direction, in my opinion. And then just stop drinking soda. Soda's bad for you, and it tastes like shit. It's disgusting, and it, it's it's a drug. I mean, it's literally a drug. I will say uh, the first thing I did when I wanted to commit to losing weight was I cut out soda, and it was the easiest decision I ever made. It really is, and you will see results. If you stop drinking – if you're like a heavy soda drinker and you stop, you'll see results immediately, not only in your weight but also how you feel. Um, and but, endorphins are real. That was the other thing I wanted to say. Endorphins are totally real things. Yes, absolutely. And it's, you mentioned dieting. And that's a funny topic because everybody always asks me, so, like, what's your diet? What what diet did you go on? Um, and the problem with the way we think about dieting the, as it's, like, currently constructed is that the biggest flaw about it is that it implies that someday it will end. Like, you will go on a diet for a few months, you'll lose weight, and then you stop the diet. But that's such a flawed way of thinking because 
you're you like this is this is how you get stories of people that lose weight and then gain it all back is by stopping the diet. It has to be like a, a real and legitimate, you know, lifestyle change. I mean, there are definitely ways I changed what I eat for sure, but you know, I so I eat a lot of like on a daily basis I eat a lot of really boring stuff, which is why. Some of my food takes on Twitter are, are bad. <laughs> Which we will talk about later in this podcast. Absolutely. Like, I eat a lot of, you know, chicken, turkey, and fish. Like, are the only meats I really eat. And I eat a lot of brown rice and uh, vegetables. Very boring, boring stuff. But, like, you mentioned, like, indulging. Indulging is important, too, because, like, I have a, like, every every week I have one cheat day, like a 24-hour period where I go, except I had it a little longer when you were out here for the NFL draft. Oh, those pastrami <laughs> fries were so freaking good. Oh, man, they were fantastic. But the thing is, like, if you if you eat well, you can indulge in stuff like that, and you will still continue to lose weight and continue to be healthy if you – like, I go I go ham on cheat days. Like, but that's fine because the rest of the week you're putting in that effort. But it's not about – it's not about a diet or anything like that. It's about just taking certain foods – completely out of your regular rotation and structuring what you eat in a very real sense, but not in a way that's like the diet as it's, as it's currently constructed. Like that stuff never worked for me. And also I will say like eating well and working out have to go hand in hand. Like you, that you cannot do one or the other. Cause there were times like before I really had my big, boom, epiphany moment where I would eat well, but I wasn't working out or I was working out, but still eating like shit. And I would just consistently get frustrated at the fact that I'm like, damn, I'm still 300 pounds. Like what's, why is this not working? But it's because you have to do both and you have to be very serious about it. If you're, if you're like super heavy, like I was. Yeah. In terms of diet changes that I've made and I might save this for my food take, I pretty much just cut out dessert, too. Yes. Yeah, dessert is a waste of time, and you don't need it. I'm at the point now where, honestly, I probably have dessert maybe once every three months. And that's yeah. only on a special occasion. I haven't had ice cream, I want to say, in, I want to say, a year. I only had ice cream in a year. That's a long which time. Which is a long time to not have ice cream. But I don't know. And, I, and that's actually the hardest thing. Like, cake, cake is, cake is trash. I hate yeah. cake. Uh, but anyway, moving on, because I, I, I want to get to the stuff portion pretty soon, and I also want to tie this up in a neat little bow. So we've given out a lot of advice. Uh, you mentioned the gym. So what advice do you have for those who want to go to the gym more? Um, I mean, for one, and I talk about this in the piece, like, Gym shaming is a very real thing that people who are out of shape, even if it's not real, they feel it. Like, I remember feeling like I don't belong in a gym. Or like, and this is also, like I said, it was very insecure and very obviously emotionally fragile in other ways. But like, I would walk into a gym and be like, okay, everybody here is making fun of the fat guy right now. Like, like that's sort of paranoia. But I know that a lot of people feel that way. So the one thing I would encourage people is to just ignore that and like if you if you feel uncomfortable in a gym like just just get past it you like you just have to just kind of power through it and I know that's not easy but in order to feel like you belong you have to you know belong you have to go and you have to work and you have to put the put the time in um I would also say like 
mix mix up what you do too. Like I right now I'm in a, in a really good place where I do I normally run to the gym. Like, so I mix in cardio with actually lifting weights. Like, I don't just run and then lift, you know, I mix in a little bit of everything. I also do yoga. Yoga is fantastic. It's a really good, uh, good way to build up core strength and a lot of other things that are very helpful. I would say just, you know, constantly be challenging yourself too at the gym. Like, don't go and get into a comfortable routine and then be like, all right, cool. I did, you know, I curled 10 pounds today. Like, that's all I can do. Like, always push yourself. And, and honestly, like, if there, this is kind of not really advice to somebody who is going to the gym, but if you have a friend that is looking to make that like body change, be super like over the top with your praise and encouragement, because that to me was like crack like that, like hearing that praise, like Matt, you look a lot better. Like you, you, wow. You were like people being blown away. The fact that I looked like thinner that was like cracked to me. I needed that so bad. And that encouragement is super important. So that's kind of a little off topic, but I mean, I would just say like people that go to the gym, like don't, don't go in blind either. Go in like, you know, get with a trainer. Even if you just have like one meeting, just knowing like what to do. Cause that can also be intimidating when you walk into a gym and you're like, what is all this shit? What are all these people in here doing? Like starting from ground zero can be tough. So I would say get with somebody, even if it, you know, again, if it's me, like, I'm happy to email back and forth with people about it uh, or just, you know, get one, tr- one session with a personal trainer or, or a good friend who is in the gym a lot, like go in a little educated. That's important. I was actually going to follow up with that because I'm at a point where I pretty much went to a free gym religiously for a while, uh, did a lot of swimming for cardio and I would lift occasionally too. Although honestly I didn't lift as much as I probably should have because I kind of am pretty happy with my muscle strength right now, and I wanted to to test out some other things. But I think I'm at the point where not only am I ready to join a new gym, but I'm debating on getting a trainer. So what would your verdict be on someone who's thinking about getting a trainer? Because I've never had one before. This is a personal Ethan question. Yeah, if if you can afford it, uh, it's it's worth it. Um, And again, even if you just go like a couple times, you know, you don't have to go like once a week with your trainer or anything like that. Honestly, it's just helpful to get in there because they know, I mean, they know, they know what your body needs better than you do probably. And I mean, for me, that was certainly the case. And like even at the gym I go to right now, which is like a dungeon of a 24 hour fitness, uh, in, in, in LA, um, I met with the trainer once on a free session that they give you when you, when you start, but like every time I see him in the gym, like I talk to him and just pick his brain a little bit. And, you know, he's nice enough to, to do that. I don't know if everybody would, but, uh, it's definitely worth it. I would, I would say it's, it's, it's worth it just to go in and, and if like, it's especially important too. like, like you were saying, like, you're not at, at ground zero, like I was, but it's important to know, like, what do you do to improve? Because that's one thing, like I mentioned, I never want to plateau. And that's like the, that's like the worst thing you can do is get comfortable. Cause you think like, okay, I'm still grinding. I'm still like working. I'm still in the gym every day. But if you're not consistently improving your routine or, or making it diverse, you're just going to end up staying where you are. I think that is a good way to wrap up this topic and move on to stuff. So Matt, you are known to have a lot of really bad takes, <laughs> a lot of really, 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 really bad takes. So we're going to play a game. It's called 
Can I, can I just Let's light Twitter on fire. Can I just say first, like, okay, I'm not the type of person in my football work that will ever say something that I don't believe or, like, spice up my take to get attention, like Skip Bayless style. But if I know, like, that I have a contrarian take, like I'm sure we'll talk about some of them, I will absolutely fire that up to 11 just to be annoying. And I do it, like, you can ask anybody that I work with, I do it all of the time, like, at work with with stuff like that. Yeah, it's, it's just because it's funny to, to, you know, like, I, I think it was the other day I said I was – so we, I was tweeting back and forth about soda with a bunch of people, and I was in our inner office uh, instant message Slack group or whatever, and I was like, hmm, guys, I don't think I've lit my mentions on fire lately. I'm going to tweet out a list of acceptable beverages to drink. So I'll do that stuff just because it's funny. But, like, I, I never do it with sports stuff, but absolutely. If, if I have a bad take, I'm known to crank it up a little. As an aside, when I was down in L.A., I met a lot of the NFL Network team. Follow all of them if you don't, because they're all really cool people. I did not meet Matt Franciscovich, but I did meet Alex Gellar, um, Marcus Grant, and Patrick Claibon. Yeah. And they are all wonderful people, so you Very should definitely follow them. Yeah, that is a – you have a great office. And, I, and we saw Siciliano, too, but he just looked really angry. So I did not say hi to him. He seemed preoccupied with something. It was right before the draft. I'm sure he was really busy. Eh. Yeah. I mean, he's I've seen him before. I saw him in Mobile. He was really nice in Mobile, so it's cool. So we're going to start with a category we've already talked about a little bit, and each of us are going to give a really bad take, and we're going to see which one of our takes is more egregious. Oh, this is great. So we're going to start with food, and I'm going to let you go first. Okay, well, I mean, the the bad take that I'm most known for is the peanut butter take. And yep. that is that peanut butter is outrageously horrible. It's the worst thing ever created, and nobody should ever eat it. And I'm actually that that one I definitely mentioned to be annoying and constantly bring up because people just can't understand it. But I know that that's a bad take. Like I know that that is something that just nobody will ever agree with me on. All right, I I'm gonna I'm gonna do you one better. We talked about dessert a little bit earlier, and I'm gonna take it a step further. There is no food group that is better as sweet than it is as savory. And I am specifically talking about pies. Savory pies are much better than sweet pies. I I will always be team savory. I would rather eat more carbs than any type of, like, the sugars or, like, the fats that you get out of the the not-so-good food. I mean, I kind of agree with you because I was a big carbs guy before, you know, losing weight and everything. And, I mean, I would much rather eat, like, a plate of cheese fries than, like, a plate of chocolate chip cookies or something. Totally. Like, it feels like at least there's something to break down. It isn't totally synthetic. Right. And, like, listen, if you're eating dessert, it, it implies inherently that you have already eaten. Like, <laughs> I, I do yeah. like, I, I, um, I, I actually, like, Made the, like Jim Gaffigan's one of my favorite comedians ever, even though like a lot of his humor looking back on it was probably very harmful to like my staying fat or whatever. But one of my favorite jokes of his ever was like, could you imagine trying to explain like dessert or an appetizer to somebody from like a third world country that, you know, is having hunger issues? I mean, like, no, 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 that, that's the food we eat after we eat. No, you're thinking of appetizers. That's the food we eat before we eat. <laughs> yeah. 
Alright, so peanut butter and desserts are both trash. Done. Music. You had a really hot take recently. I'm you can use that one again. You can use a different one. But what is your crazy music take? Wait, what was the music take that I had? I lose track of you, 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 you dropped a ner nirvana. Oh, what was it? Yes. A nirvana? Yes. Yes, and I st- <laughs> that one was bad. That one was really bad. That was really bad. Yeah, I don't I'm honestly though that I stand by that. That was uh, that was it was a clever mostly it was a clever use of meh that I couldn't pass up cuz for some reason lately I've been pretty obsessed with throwing meh into everything. Um, you know, fantasy football, that sort of stuff. Anything I anytime I can use it. Uh but no, yeah, Nirvana is, is very meh. I, I, for one, I don't, I don't get the whole grunge thing. I, I find it to be an incredibly unappealing genre. Also, like, I couldn't, if you just took the name off of a CD, and I can already see me making faces over there, and I don't like that. Um, oh, no, I, I like Nirvana. <laughs> so, like, I disagree with this. Like, if you took the, if you took the name off a CD, you couldn't tell them from any other grunge band. And I think that, like, there is definitely, a little bit of the dead celebrity effect for Kurt Cobain. I'm 100% confident about that nowadays. But yeah, so I don't like Nirvana. is just whatever. Like, they're not bad, but they're just whatever. I have a very personal connection to Nirvana because <laughs> this is actually a true story. So I worked at the BBRU. That was a radio station that I worked at. And Kurt Cobain's last ever interview before he died was given at that radio station, which yeah, I think is kind of cool. This is why I can't give out these sort of takes, because everybody has a personal connection. By the way, by extension, also the Foo Fighters is a trash band. Well, you stole my take. Um, oh, shit, really? I'm so sorry. my take is that the Foo Fighters are the most generic rock band ever. Oh, um, so Dave Grohl nice. should have not done it. Uh, it's, it's just terrible. Like, I can't get into any of their music. Um, That's another one I get in, I get into debates with the, with the guys that work. Like... Especially franchise, Matt Franciscovich franchise, like he hates that Foo Fighters take. And Dave Grohl is actually the only, like, the only legitimate celebrity that I've seen in LA. Like I was in a tattoo <laughs> parlor funny. and I and I saw him just walking. Like he just walked right past and walked down the street. I was like, son of a bitch. The only <laughs> the only celebrity I've seen here is the one whose band I can't stand. Uh, you know, I've heard he's a really nice guy, actually, Dave oh, Grohl. Sure I've great. heard he's the best. But that music is the most basic white thread music I've ever heard. Like, totally. there's nothing unique about it. It's just really bad rock music. And we played it a lot in our radio station. Even though we tried to veer more alternative, we also tried a little bit of that. And every time it came on, I would just, like, pass out a little bit. Them and Bush. Awful. Yeah. I hate Bush. That band. Speaking. But listen, Nirvana is just as mad as all these other bands you're talking Nirvana, about. Nirvana was... I think Nirvana had a little bit more of a purpose when they wrote, and I think Nirvana's sound is less generic than Foo Fighters or Bush. Well, yeah, definitely less generic, but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, that's the big thing about the Foo Fighters is, like, like you said, they are very much just median-level rock. Yeah, that is a good way to put them. They are, they are median-level rock. They are the Los Angeles Rams of rock, the Jeff Fisher (laughs) of rock. That is the Foo Fighters. I'm going to start using that now whenever I get into those discussions. I'll be like, all right, cool. So I guess you like the Because there's nothing better, by the way. Like, I, my group of friends in college, like, we used to 
especially my like the house that I lived in my senior year, like we used to fight with each other. Like we were so mean to each other. We would get in these senseless debates. And like actually, we went on with this. Sorry, this is like a little bit of a side story, but like we went on a spring break trip to Myrtle Beach together, and we met up with another house like that was full of a bunch of other people while we were down there. And I was the DD that night, so it was especially fun to like take this all in. The, the group, the other group that we met up with, were like, are, "How are you guys friends? You're so mean to each other. You fight all the time." But like, I really, I never do this like again in a professional sense. But when I get into debates in real life, throwing just senseless like arguments like that like so anytime so i'm arguing with somebody about the foo fighters i'd be like oh so cool so you like jeff fisher as a coach then because that's basically the same thing <laughs> pretty much that i mean you're happy you think he deserves uh deserves plenty of more jobs <laughs> i mean i mean that's pretty much what you're dealing with let's move on to movies movie take mine is very meta i'll actually go first i, I just i don't think that it's a very good medium anymore I feel like that if I want a more personal connection, I can read a book, I can play a video game, I can read a graphic novel, I can read a comic, I can even do other visual novels too that are now out that are, I personally find a couple of them really appealing. I just don't get the appeal of movies except for like action movies. Action movies are a little bit of an exception because I think that in that case, you see the actor, and they're pretty much just playing themselves. Mm-hmm. I have this weird suspension of disbelief now when it comes to seeing an actor try to play other characters in a movie. And maybe it's just me. I have no idea why. Maybe it's just because, like, you're trying to, like, cram, like, all this plot into, like, two and a half hours, um, which I think is almost impossible to do. I mean, even Star Wars, I would say, like, I liked Star Wars, but... I thought they could have done more with it, and I was talking to Ben Natan about this, and I was like, yeah, I, I'm just not sure that I would have gone in as condensed a direction as they chose. I felt way too much happened too quickly, because you're just trying to force everything in. Like, why wouldn't you just do TV instead? Right. So that's my really hot meta movie take. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of with you on that. Like, I'm a big TV show guy. Like, I will... And this is great because I live with, like, you know, I live with Alex Gellar, who also writes for NFL.com. And, like, he is a huge movie person. Like, that's, he, you've seen it out of the apartment. Like, he has that big shelf of movies. Like, that's his, that's his, that's his thing. That's what he originally came out to LA to do. And I've seen, like, maybe 20 movies ever. But, and, and again, this is a, a take that really bothers people. Like, I, I don't, I, this is my thing. Like, I don't feel like I have the, t- the like interest level to sit through an entire two hours of a movie, but I would, could watch an entire season of a TV show in one day. And people don't understand that. Cause it's like, it's the, it's more time commitment. Yep. However, for one, there's the option. Like if I ever wanted to stop, I could stop. I won't, but I could. And also there's just more of a, like an arc, like the consistent arc of an episode in a TV show. I actually, just put this together the other day talking with a friend like the way it like a tv show arcs and then comes down each episode is much faster than the arc of a movie like because that's a whole two hours worth of an arc well this is just multiple like 45 minute or half an hour arcs so like that to me is why tv shows are just far more appealing than movies so i mean i'm kind of with you on your take of just like movies are just whatever 
Yeah. I think also, like, all those arcs can end up making one huge arc throughout the entire season, and then all of a sudden it blows your mind when that happens. Yeah, it's like, it's you get both. You get both with the TV show. You get the mini arcs, but you also get one major arc of an entire season. It's just much better than sitting through two hours, like, are we going to get, when's the arc? When are we going to, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. Maybe movies will continue to surprise me. I mean, in terms of action movies, like, I thought Deadpool was amazing which I consider to be an action movie. I haven't seen but, it yet. Like, I have no intention... Like, for example, like, Civil War. I'm... I like comics. I don't really have any intention to see that movie at all because I yeah. pretty much already know what's going to happen. But that's just me. So but we gotta we, get over the superhero movies, too. Yeah, that, too. Society. So we started talking about TV. Let's move on to topic number four in terms of bad takes. Which is TV? What is your bad take there? Oh man, I have so many bad takes. So many bad takes. Can you go first? Because I have to actually think of which one I I should. This is not going to be pretty on Twitter. Um, I tried to watch Breaking Bad and I could not get oh, through no. the first six episodes. It was just that's a bad take. I couldn't get through it. I got bored. I tried three times and I got bored. I don't know. I couldn't do it. Yikes. Well, listen, I will say... I, I just got... Maybe I need to try again, but I've now tried three times because I know how good it is, and I know how hyped it is, and I just... I don't get it. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I, mean, I, like, I like Breaking Bad a lot. I'm a big Breaking Bad fan, I do think that, and I hate when people say this, but, like, you kind of have to power through the first season a little oh, bit. Oh, all right. Maybe I'll try to do that again. Honestly, yeah. If you can just, if you can just power through the first season, Ethan, I think you will, you will like it from season two on. Um, even, even, like, the end of season one, it, it gets much better. And, like, I hate to say that because there's nothing worse than being like, no, this is really good. You just have to get through the shitty part, which is the first part. The funny thing is I usually like shows like that. Like, Mr. Robot... First of all, much better show than Breaking Bad one season comparing each to the other one. I don't even know what this one is. Mr. Robot? Oh, it's so good. It, it's R- R- Remy Malik, who I think might be also hot take one of the most talented actors on TV or in movies right now. He could play literally any character. I wouldn't be surprised. But, like, it's a similar concept of show where there's a lot of unreliability, sort of the protagonist is a little bit antagonistic, which I kind of really like. And I love that show. Like, I destroyed that show. I watched that in a second, and I just couldn't get into it with Breaking Bad, and I don't know why. I I guess I'll have to give it one more try, but uh, basically what happened is it had two strikes on it, and they're calling that the third one was a foul tip that the catcher missed. Held the glove, and missed it, but I will give it one more shot, but I still still don't totally understand it, but we'll see. I guess we'll see. Um, I guess, okay, you can pick between three of my hot movie takes. One, New Girl is one of the 1,000 shows that is way better than Friends. Um, You're right about the... Okay, good. Uh, if you don't like The Walking Dead from AMC, you're the problem, not the show. And three would be that Weeds could have been the goat, but it is not. 
Weeds. Dude, the first two seasons of Weeds were fantastic. I fucking loved that show. Like, it was everything that, like, I, as a, like, angsty, uh, embarrassed person that comes from like embarrassed of the fact that I come from like upper middle class white suburbia, like that show, like the dysfunction in like white suburbia and everything. It was perfect. I loved everything about that show, but it just got, it went off the rails so hard. Like that could have been, I remember watching the first two seasons of that being like, this is going to be my favorite TV show ever. This speaks to me. Everything that I'm about, this is, this show is just right up my alley. But then it just went, took a hard left turn. Sounds a little bit like Shameless to me. I don't know if you watched Shameless. I've heard of it. It's but. it's it was a really good show, and then it got a little bit outside the box for me, and I couldn't really get back into it. But I think that those are all fair great. takes. The OC is also a great show. It's okay. I will say underrated comedy that I used to watch with my mom all the time. The Nanny is very funny. Oh geez, I could never get over Fran's voice. Her voice is really annoying, but. It's a really funny show. There's all this Jewish humor. It's just a really well-written show. We It was our family show, so we'd always watch it together. It was our little bonding time. Uh, there are some episodes, especially the really Jewish episodes, there's like all this like hidden humor there that you have to sort of be Jewish to understand. It's just really, really well done. And I actually, this is a spoiler, so um, there's a show coming on Fox. I don't know when, but it is going to star... Jason Sudeikis, and it looks really good. Interesting. It is like this weird hybrid cartoon live action show. Um, I don't remember what it's called, but it looks good, so we'll see. I think that that could be a funny show. Final category it takes, games. Okay, uh, Bowser is the greatest Mario Kart 64 character, and if you disagree with me, you're wrong. I have nothing to say about that. Jeez. You knew that answer right off the bat. That's a fact. That's not even a take. It's a fact. I don't know if I disagree with that, although I was always partial just to Luigi. For some reason, Luigi always spoke to me. I don't know why. That is the most milk toast of all the characters. <laughs> well, I didn't play... We talked about this on the gaming episode. I didn't have it in N64. I had to play at my dentist's office or at my friends' houses, so I was more of a double dash player than any other game. Now I have to think of a bad take for gaming. I know exactly what it is. I couldn't get through the first three hours of Uncharted, and so I never played the rest of the series. I don't even know what that is. Like, I'm I'm not a gamer at all. Uh, that's like. Mario Kart is the only video game I think I've played in, like, the last three years. Yeah, I couldn't do it. It, it just, it's a game where basically you're, like, an adventurer trying to find treasure. Uh, it's by Naughty Dog, who makes some amazing games. Last of Us is a great game. I'm not, not throwing any shade at Last of Us, but Uncharted I can never get into. It just wasn't my game. Anyway, we're going to conclude this podcast here. Matt Harmon, thank you so much for joining us. It has been great. Where can the people find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. You can find me at NFL.com, uh, TheBackyardBanter.com, where I host my podcast from, uh, which is always a, a fun kind of discussion-based show, a little bit like this one. And I'll just say, like, for one, you know, anybody that listened to this and, like, if you felt like there was 
something about it, whether it was, you know, depression or weight loss or anything, and, you, you know, you want to talk to me about it, like, please, like I said, feel free to email me, get in contact with me. I'm happy to talk. Like, I think that I, you know, this is a little bit meta here to end the show, but when I decided to put that, like, weight loss piece out there, that was a big step for me. And I think that, I think I've built the platform that I have through football in order to do stuff like this in order to be like to, to help people with their stories through my story and what I went through and to be an advocate that way. So you can expect a lot more uh, stuff that actually something later this week coming out uh, that'll be in this vein. It's a little surprise. I'll, I'll drop the tease there, but yeah. So anybody that, uh, anybody that needs it, please feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to talk about it. And don't judge us for our takes too harshly. We all have bad takes. Don't throw, What's the saying? Uh, one does not cast stones in a glass house. Uh, the, those who live in glass houses shouldn't cast stones. Shouldn't throw stones. Yeah, I, I saw the biblical like weird parable yeah. version. I don't know why that was lodged in my brain. But anyway, just don't judge. We all have bad takes. Those with I will those rewatch Breaking Bad though because I feel bad about that since everyone likes it so much. I want to like it. I just haven't yet. I need to figure out a better way to watch it. So we'll see. Give it a try. I will. Anyway, this is this week's Hammer Time Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Rate us on iTunes. Share with your friends. We'll be back with more Sports Society and stuff next week. Until then, talk to you later.